The content of this podcast should not be considered financial or investment advice. All interviews and discussions are opinions only, and the podcast has been created without taking into consideration the listener's financial objectives, financial situation, or needs. Listeners should obtain independent advice before making any financial decisions. G'day, this is Barry Fitzgerald, Garan Perro columnist for Stockhead. Welcome to another edition of the Explorers Podcast. Today we're catching up with Far East Gold, trades under the code FEG. Got a relatively short um, history on the ASX, only listed in March after raising $11.73 million. Uh, been trading very strongly too, as uh, people get excited about some of the drilling programs it has underway across projects in Indonesia and Australia. Last traded at 61.5 cents for a market cap of around 132 million. To bring us up to speed with what Far East Gold's been up to, we have the chairman, Paul Walker, with us today. G'day, Paul. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, Barry. Thanks very much for having me along. Uh, Paul, um, I think it would be great if we just give uh, investors a feel for what you brought to the market and uh, how you've uh, hit the ground running, as it were. Yeah, so we, um, we, we have a portfolio of six advanced copper and gold projects. Uh, three are located on the Sunda Magmatic Arc in Indonesia, uh, two in Java and one in Sumatra, and three are located in Queensland, two in the Drummond Basin, uh, which is, and they're both situated side by side, and one on the Connors Arc uh, up in central Queensland. Those projects, before we came along and acquired them, they'd had about 40 odd million dollars spent across them by some of the majors, uh, Barrick, Newcrest, Anglo. Um, and, and so we were able to, to access a really good uh, a set of data um, to evaluate whether these projects were something that we could take forward. Um, we have a pretty strong management team that has good experience both in Indonesia and Australia. Um, one of my co-founders is the managing director of Nickel Industries, Justin Werner. Um, he yeah, between between the board and and uh, we've we've managed to raise about you know, over a billion dollars worth of capital for mining operations and development in Indonesia. Uh, and and yeah, we, we, we have this great portfolio of projects, a good team that understands some of the challenges in Indonesia uh, with, a, with what we think is a really interesting strategic um, model where we've, we've diversified our operational and jurisdictional issues that may present itself in Indonesia by having three good projects in Queensland. No, it's nice to see. Uh, there's a bit of a lull in uh, Indonesian exposure on the OSX. So, uh, we all know it's... Uh intensely mineralised part of the world and uh, there's been a lot of success and we've had some issues over the years but uh, nice to see a, uh, a new ASX company um, taking advantage of uh, changing in investment climate up there. Before we start, I was just going to ask, and I've never seen it before, The um, you guys are signed up to this UN Global Compact. Uh, tell us a bit about that. So we um, obviously, you know, as an early stage company, we're trying to get our... our um, systems and processes and everything we do um, right from day one so we don't have any bad habits that we need to fix. So so as part of making sure we stand up our environmental management systems and our health and safety systems and our social engagement um, framework properly, we looked around to, to try and find what is the best model. And and we stumbled across the UN Global Compact. And look, what what I noticed was there was a there was a mining an exploration mining company which and it was actually news in miningnews.net that they were the it was unusual that an exploration company joined the Global Compact. And I did digging into it, and it turned out that that basically no exploration companies have joined um, from Australia or Indonesia, and it's something that mostly large operating companies do. And so we looked at it, and there's no reason why we couldn't join this. And so we spoke to the UN, 
and uh, and they were very happy to have us join. But one of the things that was a challenge for them is that is, is your annual fee is based upon your revenue. Right. As an exploration company, we don't have any revenue, and so they said, "Well, you just raised twelve million dollars. Can we call that your revenue?" And we, we said, "Well, it's not really, but, but we're, we're happy to join." So, so we're really proud that they let us um, um, come in. Like, it, it, if if you look at the UN Global Compact, it basically says that we'll set up our business operations and strategies to comply with their 10 principles on human rights, labour rights, uh, the environment, um, um, adopting a precautionary approach and, and adapting and implementing uh, environmentally friendly technologies and their model of anti-corruption. And if you if you go through these principles, you look at it and go, why wouldn't any company wish to join? Um, it's actually, they're actually like a, an ethical and moral framework that, that all companies should follow, in my opinion. So, um, the upside for us is we get to sit in plenary sessions, get involved in, in round tables and see what larger companies have actually done in this space. Um, so we can learn from them and we have to produce an annual report, um, that we submit to the UN, um, about how we've, um, um, adapted our strategy and implemented these into our operations. So it's, mm. it's good for us. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And, uh, Nice vanguard work by you guys, um, because you mentioned that producers tend to sign up on on this when they hit issues. So you're kind of reverse engineering and uh, have it in place be, to deal with issues that uh, might uh, pop up as you go along. <laughs> yeah, ounce of prevention is better than a pound of cure, as as, as, as my you know, grandparents used to say. Yeah, exactly. It's much, yeah, it's much easier to get this um, set up. Um, from day one for a company like ours. Interest, bit of excitement building around the company. Uh, 19th of September, you announced that uh, the uh, initial uh, drilling program at Woyla, which is in um, uh, uh, Sumatra there in the Aceh province, at the Anik Perak Prospect. First time in its 25-year history. It's a, a copper porphyry project, epithermal porphyry. Explain to us why it was the first time in 25 years that someone's been able to come in and drill there. This, this project was originally um, explored by Barrick and, and, and then Newcrest took it over from Barrick. Um, and a lot of activity happened in the late 90s, early 2000s. Um, um, it then sat dormant for a while uh, for a number of reasons up there. There was, there was uh, not a lot of local support for mining at that time. Um, and uh, even Owen Hegarty had a go at trying to get this project back in the um, yeah, about 2013 time. But, but there was a lot of challenges from a regulatory and a social perspective. Um, over time, that's, that's changed. There's been a really good gold mine nearby called Matabe, which is you know, producing you know, two, 300,000 ounces of gold, employs about 3,000 locals. It's doing a great job environmentally and for the local community. And I, and I think a lot of the attitudes changed on the back of some of the great results that are happening nearby. And so the community um, started having an appetite for sort of economic development that will come from a mining operation like this. Um, the regulations changed to simplify some of the the, um, the mining rules associated with getting permits. They they, re- they released in Indonesia in 2020 a, 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 an omnibus set of laws which centralised a lot of the decision-making in terms of permits and licences back to the federal government. And, and that sort of opened the door for us to come in and, and um, apply for a downgrade of certain forestry areas across the tenement. So the tenement is about 24,000 hectares. About 2,500 hectares of that is, is, is sitting in land which is outside of a forestry area. And we could have explored that, but, but most of the work that had been done was inside forest designated land. And so we had to spend about two years working through the process of, of mapping, defining, um, applying for um, a change of the forestry designation. And we eventually got that 
done in August last year. Then we had to apply for our environmental authority, which we got. And then we, we, we were given the right to use that forestry land about a week and a half ago. And uh, we, we started mobilising. So I would like to say that we're really smart and we, we know what we're doing, but I think it's more right place, right time. Uh, yeah, but our teams understands that the issues associated with, uh, with getting a social licence to do this sort of work and we, we, we've done it carefully. Like, like for example, Barry, we, um, we received our, our borrow use licence, which, which is an administrative licence to use forest land. And we got that last week. And, and, and the first thing we did on Monday, of, so we got that on the, the, the week before last, the first thing we did on Monday last week was we met with the community heads, the, the heads of the local um, um, uh, uh, religious and community leaders. We, we met with the, the, the heads of the army and the police. We met with the, um, the, the political, administrative and government heads in the area and said, hey, we've got this permit. This is what our plan is. This is where we're going. Are you guys on board? Is everything okay? Um, and, and, and that all went well. And we thought, good, we've got the green light socially as well as legally to mine. And that's, and that's probably the difference between us and people who've tried in the past is we've, we're taking our time making sure that we have not just a, you know, a, a fundamentally good project, but we also have the, the, the legal and social license to do what we want to do up there. The company itself has said it's uh, one of the most uh, highly prospective undrilled copper gold projects in South East Asia, and there's also been commentary from uh, Anglo, which uh, explored there in the past, and uh, the uh, Indonesian Department of uh, Energy and Mines have uh, said much the same. What is it about this project that excites? Water itself were Newcrest and Barrack had it. Um, Anglo previously had our Trangalic project, which they also liked as well. So unusually, we're sitting here as a a junior exploration company holding potentially two Tier 1 projects in our hands, which is really unusual, which might explain why the market's responding to us at the moment the way it is. Um, but, but what Newcrest liked about this was it has about 13 kilometres of defined and mapped epithermal vein systems spread across four prospects. The assay results are consistently across each of the prospects returning bonanza grades in, in gold, yeah, up to 119 grams per tonne in gold, but also up to nearly 1,200 grams per tonne in silver. So some of the structural textures that you're seeing there in, in, in the vein samples, you're seeing gengaroo banding, you're seeing coliform, crustiform banding. All of these are very similar characteristics to other high-grade, high-volume gold mines in the Southeast Asia region. Now, what you'd normally expect when you see this amount of epithermal vein systems, this amount of high-grade gold sampling, you'd expect it to be drilled. Um, and to have a project like this that's sitting with such an extent of prospects and being undrilled is quite a remarkable opportunity for us. So you've got uh, the one rig uh, turning away now, second one being brought in? Yeah, that's right. So we, we, we've upgraded our facilities, our camp up there. So we've got, got accommodation for 70 uh, on site now. So all of the facilities that we need to enable us to progress both phase one and phase two drilling program in the Anak Parak prospect is there. And, uh, and so given that we've got one drip, drip turning, we, th- we thought we'd mobilise a second so we can, we can push through and, and, and look to try and you know, progress towards a jork resource um, as soon as possible. It's 51% owned, going to 80%. Uh, who are the partners? It's, it's, it's effectively a, yeah, a, um, a high net worth individual from, from, uh, from Indonesia. Um, they, they've had the project and kept it alive uh, for the last twenty odd years, they they partnered with Newcrest and then partnered you know, partnered with Barrick and and when they they stepped away, they've kept the asset and we've we're acquiring eighty percent from them. First stage was fifty one percent upon issuing shares at IPO. The next stage we we, we get the next to eighty percent when we issue a maiden resource estimate and finish an Indonesian level feasibility study. So our plan is to do that within the next two years. 
And then the balance 20%, they get to keep as a free carry through to decision to mine. And at that point, they can they can either decide to elect a net smelter royalty or participate. Um, so, so uh, yeah, it, it's 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 uh, um, you know a very good partner. Um, the the they, they they're well regarded in in the Indonesian uh, community. Um, in fact, um, you know, they have quite a few tenements, and, and Nickel Industries have just bought one of their tenements off them from a nickel space up in up in Papua. So, so they're very good partners at this stage. Let's talk a bit about the pro, uh, two projects, not quite as advanced, but uh, again with the interesting histories uh, in East Java and Central Java. Talking about Tringalek and Wanagiri, is it? Yeah, Wanagiri. Mm, so both uh, porphyry epithermal high grade sort of plays again. Yeah, so so both have both have epithermal and and porphyry. Um, the the Wanagiri project that was where we all started. It it, it was sitting there basically, um, nothing happening to it. The um, the majority owner had another mine doing two hundred thousand ounces of gold production a year. This was just a small little mine that was about to, you know, have it all its permits lapse. So we said, how about we take it off your hands? And they were they were kind enough to to agree. And uh, it, it has a well, 1.15 million ounce chalk resource, gold equivalent, a million ounces of gold approximately, and, and 190 million pounds of copper. And and so our focus on that is to take its current exploration permit and upgrade it to an operation production permit. So it's a it's a relatively small, fairly straightforward, lowish capex um, sub outcropping porphyry. Uh, deposit we're in the process of as i say upgrading its environmental permits to, to transition to an operation production license um, we've just um, had the scoping study that was previously done by the vendors um, back in 2016 reviewed and we're updating it because back when they did the scoping study gold was 13.50 an ounce and copper was five and a half thousand dollars a ton so we um we're, we're we're in the process of looking at, at 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 what that means in terms of process flow mine development plan, open cut versus underground, all those things we're analysing at the moment. So it's a great little project, not like the other two projects in Indonesia, but it's a good start for us, you know, near-term development opportunity. Um, and then we have Trangalic, which it actually has a mining licence and most of the work that was done for the mining licence was on an epithermal deposit. That epithermal deposit is not, not that interesting in the context of the other porphyry deposits that are on that project. Um, the other porphyry pro- deposits hadn't, been explored properly because they also had forestry issues. We've fixed those forestry issues, so our, our plan is to go in and, and do some exploration on the on the potentially interesting porphyry areas. Um, why we like Tringalic is it's on the um, Sunda Magmatic Arc in Java, very close to a monster project called Tuju Bukit, um, which is just up the road. And Tuju Bukit, it's, it, it has a resource of about thirty million ounces of gold and nineteen billion pounds of copper. So uh, um, we 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 see very similar structural features in terms of the the magnetic anomalies that we're seeing, the geophysics that have been done. The volcanic centre that sits on on Tujibukit is similar size to the volcanic centre that sits on Trangalic. So we're we're really encouraged about what we might see when we get into the porphyry areas there. So you're in the hunt for uh, tier one type deposits, and those in in, in both Woyla and uh, Trangalic, yes, not not in Wanagiri, <laughs> not at all. So you've balanced up the portfolio by having some Australian interests. Uh, Queensland's the focus in the uh, Drummond Basin, and you've uh, also started drilling, I see, at the Hill 212, which is epithermal. It is epithermal. Um, uh, I mean, it's 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 a good project. Um, I mean, the, the, the challenge that we have is is people will see the results 
um, and, and the potentiality in Woyler. And, and, and it's hard to compare the two, but, but Hill 2 has its own strengths, obviously being in a good, solid um, um, area that has a history of, of mine development um, not too far from Pajingo. Um, our, our drilling was, was not so much to define high grade, but to, to confirm up what our hypothesis was for the mineralization. So we, we think that it has the potential to host something similar to Pajingo's Vera Nancy deposit. So that was what the drilling was trying to test, whether, whether or not some of the zones identified by our previous geophysics works um, do have the, the, the sulfidation within the quartz mineralization that we would hope to see. Um, there, were previous, there was previous drilling done on that epithermal vein system, but that was only quite shallow. So we've gone and done drilling down to nearly 400 metres in some of those locations just to see whether or not there is sulfidation and, and, and um, you know, gold-carrying quartz um, areas at depth, which is what Vera Nancy has. So um, the drilling program finished just, just recently, so we're waiting for the assay results to come back to see whether or not the string of veins we've seen and the sulfidation areas we've seen actually are carrying the gold that we'd like to see. Uh, Vera Nancy, of course, I think it was, uh, was it 3 million ounces? 3 million ounces, yeah, about 10 grams a tonne. So, yeah, pretty happy if we get anything like that. But uh, um, that's our hypothesis at the, at the moment. So we're not we're not out there chasing high grades or chasing you know, anything other than just to confirm it, what our what our um, understanding of this vein system might be. And then we have then we have Mount Clark West, which is fundamentally different. We've, we've just finished a, a um, geophysics survey on Mount Clark West using a system called MIMDAS. I don't know if you've ever heard of that, Barry. Yeah, so, so we, we were able to get um, geophysics data down to about you know, 700 plus metres. Um, and so we have, um, we've seen some distinct magnetic anomalies there, which we, and with some of the drilling that's done, looks like we've clipped the edge of a copper gold molybdenum porphyry system. So rather than going out and doing more drilling chasing that, we've gone and done a, a very detailed geophysics survey using MIMDAS to try and get a better picture of what um, might be a fairly deep, fairly significant porphyry anomaly. Um, in Mount Clark West. We won't know that for another month or so until, until we get the, the interpretation of that data back, and then we'll decide what we do with it from there. Right, so a very active program. And there is uh, obviously work progressing at some of the, uh, the, the other prospects. So, But I think it's a good point now if we can just uh, get you to give investors a feel for news flow uh, for the rest of the year. Obviously, we've um, yeah, we've just started the, uh, the, 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 the drilling program in Woyla, so... Yeah, we expect that we'll have some results from that before the end of the year. We expect to have um, um, understanding of what the, the geophysics on Mount Clark West looks like very shortly. We uh, we also will have an understanding of what the scoping study on Wanagiri looks like. And 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 then we'll have the um, the assay results from our Hill 212 drilling program as well. So so between now and the end of the year, we've got quite a bit of news flow coming out. Uh, the way these things work, there will be, uh, based on some of those results, there will be a ranking. But at this stage, Woyla uh, is very much the flagship, you think? Very much. Um, it still is. You know, when we went to the market and raised the money for the IPO, our allocation was about half of our spend on Woyla. Uh, our logic was we saw it as the best opportunity for value uplift to our shareholders by allocating the capital to something which um, had the potential for a monster but had never been drilled. We'll, our, our, our thinking is still along those lines, but we'll know more when we get the assay results. All right, Paul, fascinating story. Uh, tier 1 hunt in Indonesia and Australia. So that uh, one, uh, lots of results to be watching out for as the year unfolds. So with that, we'll say thanks for your time and good luck with it all. Oh, thank you so much for your time, Barry. Cheers. Cheers.